The Dharma talk this evening is going to be uh, a little bit unusual for our group, I think. I don't know that this has been done before. I know it's been done in other groups. Um, this is going to be a community-inspired or a community-led Dharma talk. And the way we're going to do it is have you, um, if you have something on your mind or something that's been in your practice that you've been sitting with or thinking about, um, if there's something you've been struggling with lately, a certain situation that you're not sure, how do I integrate this practice here? Um, how do I work with this particular emotion or this life change or whatever it is? And you want to have a discussion about it. Um, you can write whatever it is on one of these pieces of paper. be nice if it was just one piece per person. So if you have a lot on your mind, <laughs> maybe just wait and see if other people um, want to write their their uh, questions down first before taking, you know, a, a handful of the papers. Um, and not everyone has to write something down. It won't work if everyone does it. <laughs> but if you've got something that you'd like um, to be part of tonight's um, Dharma talk, you can write it down. They'll be brought up to me um, near the end of the break, and I will do my best to integrate most of them, um, certainly some of them. So I'll have some up here. There's some on the back table. We'll take our break now. Uh, say hi to somebody next to you if you'd like, especially if they're they're new here. We have a couple of new people, a few new people. Um, and I will ring the bell in probably like six, seven minutes from now. So I hope you'll stick around and uh, enjoy your break. All right, I could almost put these in two categories. <laughs> so interesting. Um, well. A lot about uh, emotions this evening, although not all of them, but I am noticing that, so I might start there. Mm-hmm. Some related to, um, and one specific about speech, and then a couple others about really choosing, choosing a path <laughs> of practice. So we could do, we'll see what I can do here. Okay. I'm struggling with anger, fear, and confusion that comes up when dealing with my ex-son-in-law and his treatment of my grandchildren. It's so hard to take, to talk with him. Mm-hmm. How does being in love tie in with the practice of non-attachment and equanimity? How do I handle difficult emotions such as depression? How do I deal with slowing down but find myself slipping back into habitual busyness and anxiety? Okay. 
And then relating to speech, how can I both practice right speech and ask others to use right speech when addressing me? I might put that one with the ex-son-in-law here. Oh, I'm so pleased that um, these are questions that I can tell are are really truly something inside of you. You know, you're you're not just asking uh, uh, heady questions, but these are these are heart questions. All of these questions, um, and then the other two that I didn't read, I, I'm going to see if I can get into them. Um, at the end here, Oops. Um, I've recently found myself touched by the practice of kirtan. I'm starting to integrate it into my into my practice. Both, but would appreciate any tips. I'm just starting to learn more about it. And then, many paths. How important is it to settle on one path? So, yeah, these are heart questions. And I think these are the right types of questions when we come to the Dharma. Is uh, It's nice to, to study. Actually, it's important to study and understand the Dharma as a path and as a set of a number of, of practices. Um, and we don't want to stop there. I think um, really looking into into our own experience and seeing what's really touching us, what's, where's our edge in our practice, what, where are we struggling. And so that's where I'm, what I'm hearing here. So dealing with difficult emotions, we'll start there. We're just with different emotions. Love was in there. Um, Love uh, can be a difficult emotion, <laughs> depending on how it's going, I guess. Um, especially uh, if clinging is involved. And so how to separate the two. Love is a, is a complicated word, I think, in the English language. And I, um, my understanding is in different dialects, uh, the word love, there's maybe many different words to describe uh, what we have one single word for in the English language. Uh, and in, in Buddhism, this is true also, although I don't know the Pali, I'd have to go and look it up. Um, and since this is a spontaneous talk, I don't get to do that. But I can tell you that... Um, uh, that there's multiple words uh, related to what we call clinging and that that kind of um, obsessive uh, needing love, and then also more of this um, baseline of of connection, a love that we can feel and cultivate for ourselves, a love that we can cultivate um, for um, each other. Um, through this understanding of our our connectedness, um, that the word love could be used in as um, our true essence, uh, but that's not what I'm hearing in this in this question. This is, sounds like falling in love, and um, what a beautiful thing that um, 
that we get to do as human beings. That process of falling in love, and yet it's so tangled with desire. So tangled with desire. Are you having trouble hearing me? There, um, we can turn it up. And there's also, if that doesn't work, there's listening devices on the back table that you can, you can put on. But I'm happy to turn it up. How's that? Is that a little better? Is that better? A little bit. If not, those, those are on the back table. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So love, um, this is part of the human experience. We don't, we, um, it's not about, um, you know, this practice where we're looking at the hindrances of our clarity and um, cultivating wisdom and insight. And so I want to be careful that even though that is what we're doing, we're, we're, we're trying to um, spot where those are coming up, the hindrances are coming up in our life, and then trying not to feed them. But it doesn't mean that we become robots. You know, it means that we become more engaged in our humanness. It means we get closer to what, what is actually going on here. And so, um, practicing with love is, uh, romantic love is no different. That we, we start to, um, need to tease it apart a little bit. And so if we're falling in love, uh, there can be, um, uh, uh, so much uh, happiness and joy that comes from that. But we can also start to see um, sometimes uh, very clearly because the emotions are so heightened, we can actually see clearly if we're looking close enough where that, that joy and that connection starts to get um, contracted. That wanting is what contracts that love. The needing that person so desperately is what contracts that love. And if we see that and go, this isn't for me, then we've totally missed the point. If we see the contraction or the longing and the desire and then we shut it down because we're afraid of it, we don't, we feel like, oh, that, you know, that's not supposed to happen. This isn't Buddhist or something like that. Um, or this isn't, uh, in service to my awakening, shut it down. Uh, we've completely missed the point. Use these human experiences as opportunity to start to understand the different qualities of something like love. So in that beginning, what do they call it, puppy dog phase, <laughs> right? Where you're just oogling over each other and can't get enough of each other it's so sweet. And it is often, if not always, uh, a temporary state of being. You know, and so really understanding that, knowing that, what is that like to be in this state of, of such intense desire for another person? And then have that hopefully reciprocated. <laughs> you know, I guess that doesn't always happen, but uh, assuming that this is uh, a love and love experience, that that's something that's coming back to you. Whoa, what an incredible human experience that is. And so I would say just to stay close to it, to stay close to it. And then if this is someone who 
you can really talk to and be yourself and explore these things with. What an amazing opportunity to have this this budding relationship be part of your uh, spiritual practice, that you can have a conversation or com- ongoing conversations of what is this, this love, and, and talk together about the, the feelings that are there and what is it like to be apart and then be together and what's going on with that. Um, like, I just need you all the time. And um, doing so in a way that's playful and curious and um, not something that's stifling the, the process necessarily, but more uh, illuminating what is the process, what is actually happening here. Staying close to it as it begins to change and shift and morph into something else. If you're someone who's been in long-term relationships before, um, you know that they go through different stages of, um, uh, of love, you know, the kind of love where maybe um, there's that attachment, but it's matured in some way. Maybe uh, there's the attachment, but you, but it's an attachment that really accepts and knows and loves fully that person in all of their um, splendidness and all of their confusion. Um, there can be a way in which we can love each other and not have all the trappings of, um, of needing them to be other than they are. Uh, and then, of course, we're talking about romantic love, but this can be in many different types of relationships. Right? This can be in the relationships with our, our kids, with our parents. It can be friendships. Um, and then maybe even beyond, just seeing the different flavors of love and how... Um, that attachment or that clinging um, comes in and, and what it does to to that love. Is it does it strangle it a little bit? Does it um, uh, does it limit that love in some way? Uh, what is it like when the clinging's not there and you're just right there with that person? Actually, maybe you can think of it uh, in those moments where maybe you're in an embrace with your lover or your loved one, and those moments where you're not saying anything, and you're just right there with each other. And there's no thinking about the future or past. It's just, it's all distilled in that moment, and you're just together. And there's that sweetness there and that love that can be passed through each other. Um, what a, what a pure, wonderful state that can be. Um, and, and then it's gone in a mind moment when you start planning your future and wondering what, well, what is he really thinking or, you know, whatever it is that starts to come in and break through that moment and we see the, the selfing come in or the clinging come in and, you know, it changes. And so be there for it. You don't have to shut these things off, this humanness off. Really be there for it and let yourself um, understand it to the fullest extent that you can. So it all gets to be part of practice. So I hope that helps um, 
with that particular question. And then you go from love to depression, uh, this question about working with difficult emotions and specifically around depression, and it's kind of the same thing. Um, again, a very intense emotion that, very much like love, uh, is really out of our control when we fall in love with someone. We really don't have that kind of control over it, right? It, it happens. We don't necessarily choose it. And depression, we certainly don't choose our depression. Um, that state of uh, either sinking into um, intense uh, doubt or um, uncertainty or sadness um, or numbness. Sometimes that um, that that sadness and numbness kind of go back and forth. We can live our life uh, with depression, and it just be this layer of experience underneath everything, right? So that that sadness can just be almost like um, uh, uh, I don't know, just this maybe a pervasive. Um, lens that, that, um, everything gets run through. And we can go about our lives, and other times, uh, it's crippling. We feel like, um, it's taking over. We're overcome by the experience of depression, um, or difficult emotions. There's lots of different ways that we can work with depression. One is to really know that that's what's happening, that that's a particular lens that you're looking through in those moments, Um, that it's limiting because of that. Just as, just like romantic love, you know, when we're in that state of infatuation, we see, what do we see of that person? All of their great qualities, right? Even the, the things later on you find totally annoying. At that moment in time, they're just so charming, right? I mean, so our view is just, is we're looking through a particular lens, and the same is true with depression. We're looking through a very particular lens. Um, and it's, 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 uh, it's real dukkha. It's a real dukkha lens. Dukkha, the, the word in Pali for unsatisfactoriness or suffering. It's real suffering to be um, in that state of, of depression. But that it is just a lens. It's just a lens. You know, it isn't the truth of all things. The problem with depression is it's hard to see outside of that. We get... Um, Really, um, our, our, um, sense of the world, um, becomes narrowed. We get tunnel vision. And this is true for a lot of different emotions. So not just depression, but it could be anxiety, which oftentimes goes with depression. It could be, um, you know, restlessness. I talked about restlessness a, a little while ago. Um, and, we get this narrowed view, and it's hard to even imagine that there's life in other views besides this one view. We get so um, sucked into it. And so with depression or other difficult emotions like that, it's, it's really about 
coming in and out as much as possible. So knowing that this is the view, the lens that you're looking through, and then finding ways to see beyond that lens. And you can do that in a lot of different ways. Sometimes you need support. You might need to see uh, a therapist or a psychotherapist. You might need medication to help support you to come out of that state. Sometimes this is really not just an emotional state. It's a, it's a biological state that is so out of your control. Um, sometimes it's just finding... Uh, uh, the small things in life that, that give just a little bit of joy or happiness or meaning um, and focusing the attention on that. So bringing it out of that narrowed lens into something a little bit different. Um, so it might be going on walks with someone you really love or your dog. Um, it might be um, doing something creative. It might be baking. It might be... Um, uh, reading uh, particular books. It might be practice. It might be that coming to practice is a huge relief. There are ways you can practice that um, I have found uh, have supported me through times of depression or great sadness or grief. But there's ways in which we can use the practice to really honor that state as this is what's happening right now and stay uh, in a really gentle way, I often use the word tender in a very tender way. These are really tender uh, emotions or states of mind. And so instead of um, uh, going into anger or frustration with ourself, um, intense self-judgment that often comes up when these difficult um, emotions arise, to find a way to stay in that tender presence with it, to find ways to use the breath to breathe with it, to use the body to um, relax into it, sometimes um, is is necessary uh, in order for it to really be seen and and understood. If we spend a lot of our energy trying to fight it off and deny it um, and and fix it, we're always in our fix-it mode, we're not actually being present with it. We're, we're not honoring that, that peace that has, is present. And oftentimes it needs that, that honoring, um, especially if it's one that um, is circumstantial. You know, there's been a big shift in your life or a loss in your life, and, um, and the depression arises. Um, if it's more, um, uh, you know, clinical or um, uh, hormonal, uh, then then there's it really depends. Sometimes um, giving it a lot of attention uh, when it's chronic is not that helpful, and it's more about shifting attention to something else. Knowing Vedana, pleasant, unpleasant neither pleasant, unpleasant, shifting attention more and more to the pleasant um, because the mind is just so fixated on the unpleasant. And so there's, there's a lot of different ways to work with that. Um, yeah. any, any questions about what I've said 
so far before I move on? Or any comments, thoughts that you have about that? Love and depression. Okay. Sometimes those two things come together, don't they? (laughs) Mm. Dealing with ways to slow down but find myself slipping back into habits of busyness and anxiety. So again... Uh, this is related to our lifestyle, but also difficult emotions. Um, it's funny. Uh, so this question reminds me of my day today. <laughs> um, this, this whole, usually by Wednesday, I know what I want to give the talk on. I have some kind of theme. I have an idea. I've been working on something in my own practice that I want to bring forward, or I've been in conversation with um, a practitioner or a friend or someone about something that I think this would be really relevant, or something happens in the news, or there's always something going on. You know, life is happening, and you know, you get up here and you talk about it. Well, this week it was like nothing, <laughs> and I found myself okay Wednesday. I don't have anything, but by Thursday, surely I will know what I want to talk about. And I found that as the hours were going by and I was going about my day and and had a a full day of many different things that I had to do, but that was definitely in the back of my mind, and I noticed that I started getting really anxious about the idea of having to give a talk that I didn't know what I was going to talk about. And... um, got really involved in the busyness of trying to figure out what what it should be, what would be the right talk, you know, what is what's speaking to my heart right now, what's what's on my mind. Um and it just kept coming up as a big fat nothing. And um I was uh at the end of my um to do's uh and it was about three thirty and um, my son was done with what he needed to do today, and so we had a little bit of time to just do whatever. And I could see that energy of figuring it out and doing and busyness kind of in the driver's seat as I turned to him and said, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to the park? We could go to the park. Do you want to go to the um, the library today? We could go to the bookstore. What do you want to do? And... Um, and usually he has an opinion, even though he's like almost three. Um, but he, <laughs> he knows exactly what he wants to do, it seems, 100% of the time. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, because he's only three. <laughs> That's right. And so, um, but today he just totally ignored me and just went about playing on, um, we were outside and, and there was this deck with, um, uh, just a set of stairs, but they were only, they were these shallow two, two stairs, so it wasn't like a big staircase or something. And he was balancing on the, the bottom stair, and he had a flashlight, his Thomas, the tank engine flashlight, which is his love. <laughs> and he's flashing it, you know, all over the place and playing and just being him. And I'm busy trying to figure out how to entertain him. (laughs) 
And it was this moment of like, oh, I just got to, I need to just sit down. And I did. There was a little park bench there. And so I sat down. And I just watched him uh, go up and down this, it was this long stair. Um, it's hard to describe, but it's two decks that come together. And then there's uh, the two stairs. And it, it's, you know, maybe maybe 20 paces long. And so he's just going back and forth and he's balancing and he's got his flashlight. And we, I sat there for a while. I didn't time myself, but we were there for some time and he just self-entertained. And I started to, just because it was like he gave me the cue, sit down, mom. So I sat down and started to notice, oh, I'm totally anxious about figuring out what I'm going to talk about tonight and and I'm so I'm kind of like worked up about it and I'm it's projecting into other things that I think I should be doing but I don't need to do and how I am with Leo I'm like not really paying attention to him I'm just like busy trying to organize him and and he's fine and um just by being able to sit back and see that patterning arise and how unhelpful that was and uh, how familiar that is to me um, allowed me to just kind of break the cycle of that. And hence, this is what we're doing tonight. Where well, there is no real theme, <laughs> except you are the theme. You get to be the theme. Um, but but to relate it back to your to the question, um, yeah, <laughs> this is what we do. Um, yeah, Dharma teachers do it over Dharma talks. I mean, this is we do it over just about anything. We get kind of sucked up into the busyness of our life, and um, again, this is just part of our humanness. It's also part of the the larger humanness. We're we're, we're in the culture here, even the microculture of the Bay Area, oh, <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> you know, it's totally insane how busy and we're all driving around and um, stuck in traffic and really angry about it and trying to pay our rent and, and working, working, working. And, um, yeah, it's we work hard, we play hard, we, you know, we're busy, this is a really busy culture to be in. And um, it's not that conducive to a really strong mindfulness practice. It's just not. I mean, this is, it's, it's a great place to practice. All this is, is fodder for the practice. But it's not a great condition <laughs> to really be, have a sustained mindfulness practice. You gotta work really hard to do that. And so slipping into anxiety, um, what was it? And busyness, yeah, the anxiety is probably going to come with the, with the busyness. Because that busyness, um, it's nature, it pulls us out of ourself. We lose our embodiment, uh, really easily when we're, when we're busy. Usually that busyness is forward thinking, forward planning, um, future stuff. We're not, it's not easy to do all that and be right here. It takes a lot of energy and effort. And you can do it. You can come back and forth. You can totally do it. And you can prioritize practice to bring some kind of balance to it all. 
is absolutely possible. Um, but just know that you're, this is, you are really fighting upstream, uh, in this, in this environment. And that is just how it is. Um, you can go to a monastery or go to a place where the conditions are just soaked. You can go to Spirit Rock and, you know, that's what Spirit Rock is. It's a, it's a place where they've created a container that is not this. <laughs> that is really what they're, they're providing and that's what you pay for when you go there. Um, because it, it, yeah, that's, um, it's kind of part of the deal. And so finding these moments where we can interrupt the busyness and interrupt the busy mind. The, it's more, it's not just the doing, but the mind state of busyness, right? So there's, we can be busy physically and doing, doing stuff, but it's the, it's the mind state of busyness where the mind is just doing all this stuff and not coming back to presence or not knowing that it's in that busy state. That's the problem. So taking moments to break the cycle and know what's happening, know what's in the driver's seat, know, oh, I'm totally anxious right now, or know, um, my mind is all over the place. I can't make up my mind. I can't make a decision. I, I don't know what to do next. Um, whatever it is that's arising. But know that that's what's arising. Take, take some time, even if it's a breath. Sometimes it just takes this to shift that perspective um, from that busy mind state to presence again. Oh, here I am. Uh, feeling the feet on the ground, feeling your body in its chair, um, hands on the steering wheel if you're in the car. Just takes a mind moment to come back. That's the greatest news. Is it really does just take that moment of remembering, that mindfulness, really it's just remembering yourself, remembering your truest self, remembering the moment. But it takes a lot sometimes to get there. Um, so that gentleness and compassion towards yourself is really helpful. And then also finding ways to have more consistency of practice in your life. Um, if all, if you come to Thursday night and that's your practice, that's wonderful. I mean, that's great. You, you, you're getting here. And if you come that one time a week and practice that one time a week and you're frustrated because your mind's all over the place, don't be surprised. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. And the more we integrate these moments of mindfulness and practice more deeply in our life, you'll find that the settling in happens quicker, that we catch ourselves quicker. Um, we can balance ourselves a little bit better. Um, so just something to keep in mind. Any questions about that? What, anything that I've said? Okay, let's, um, let's pass the, the mic around. I think that's on. So this isn't a question, but if your son's three, you've got 20 years of a lot of anxiety and confusion. <laughs> oh, no. And then, yeah. 
But actually, it's really wonderful to hear you talk. And if you weren't prepared at all till just a couple hours ago, good going. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks. I want to kind of say the same thing, but in a different way. That's like your story is like my favorite moment here in many months. And as I'm kind of like sinking into it and realizing it, I I can't help but notice and want to comment. Here you are on your two stairs with your Buddha flashlight. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and that's that's just wonderful. Oh, that's so lovely. I hadn't even it didn't, didn't even occur to me. So those who are listening to this in the ethers right now. On the recording, yeah, I'm on a stage with two steps. It's exactly what I described Leo was experiencing. <laughs> that is really interesting. Well, there you go. <laughs> hmm. Anything else? Okay. Okay. Well, maybe if you'll just hold on to that mic, because there might be more as I go along. Okay. Ah, speech. (laughs) Yeah. So both of these questions, the one about um, uh, your son-in-law, the treatment of your grandchildren, and it's really hard to talk with him, and then the one that's more about bringing practice to right speech, um, and how to ask others to use right speech when addressing me is what it says. Those are those two. I feel certainly go together. Uh, so, wise wise or right speech is has a prominent place on in the Buddhist's formal path to awakening. Uh, we talk a lot about mindfulness, concentration. Maybe we throw in some of the Brahma Viharas, the metta practice, compassion. But right in the middle of the eightfold path, so there's eight pieces to it, is wise speech. It's so important. What we say really, really matters. And of course, when we come here and we're sitting here, we're practicing in a way where we're not speaking. You know, there's probably a lot going on in there, (laughs) a lot of internal talking, but it's not being broadcast in any way. Um, The Buddha recognized that, you know, our practice when we get off the cushion, it doesn't end and the state of our mind and our heart greatly um, depends on what we do when we get off the cushion. Uh, so how we speak, what we say, how we say it, its timeliness is really important. And it affects, you know, when we say something that's false, when we tell lies, even like the little ones, um, it affects our, our well-being. Because now we got to track that. Or now we feel guilty about it. 
Now we're, we have a little seed of fear that we're going to get found out. Um, when we uh, say things that are really hurtful, it reverberates in our mind. Maybe at the time it felt really justified, you know, that feeling where it's like, yeah, <laughs> I said it. But then you get quiet and you have to sit by yourself and with yourself and that just starts to play over and over in your mind, the harm of that and thinking about that person and how they received it. Maybe you were face-to-face. These days, most likely, you weren't. It was over text or an email or something like that. We get real brave, you know, when we just have to hit send and we say things that we wouldn't necessarily say to someone to their face. But even still, we can feel that reverberate, just that harm. We create our own dukkha um, when we aren't using wise speech. Even, the Buddha even makes a distinction uh, around speech that is just kind of careless and, um, you know, almost useless. Just that they call it idle chatter. Just... Um, not just talking to be polite. Um, there's, there is something about that, that polite speak, but um, more just filling the space, you know, the kind of talking where you forget to listen. And um, maybe we've done that before and have experienced how that creates a disconnect between us and another person. Um, maybe we've experienced it from another you know, when someone, you're, you thought you were engaging in a conversation, but you haven't gotten a word in <laughs> for several minutes, and you feel like they're more, they're just talking at you than talking with you. Um, and that feeling of disconnect, uh, when, when that happens. I think wise speech often really the key there is connection. That we're using our words to connect and not disconnect. I find that that is, um, for me, an easy way to know, am I, is this wise speech or not? Maybe I need to say something that's true, but hard for the person to hear. Am I saying it because I want them to feel bad? It's all about my intention, right? Am I saying it because I want them to know, you know, you're a bad person, or something like that, or I'm better than you? But maybe it's true. What's my intention? Or am I saying it because I I want to connect? I want them to know that, you know, when you say this or when you do this, it's it's causing harm, and I care about that. So I'm going to tell you about it. So there's a difference there, and a lot of it stems from our intention. Um, but intention can be blind, we, we can be blind to um, how our words uh, affect other people when we're unable to see it from their perspective, right? So if we have certain privileges, you know, I'm a white woman with um, some good education, uh, upper middle class background, that comes with a certain viewpoint and privilege. Um, and if I'm not aware of that, 
then even if I have the best intentions, my words can cause harm. And I may not even know it. And so this is also wise speech, starting to see where are my blind spots. Um, the practice uh, um, has to be integrated into community, our, our being in community. And that is a big part of it, is starting to see where do our privileges blind us and how does that cause harm. Again, the, the ripple effects sometimes, even in our best intentions, can be, um, uh, can cause uh, karma, a horrible karma. Karma meaning, um, uh, the repercussions can really come back. Uh, we're no longer, you know, if I say something, even in the best intentions, that makes someone feel unsafe or, um, that I'm not trustworthy in some way because I wasn't being conscious that I was speaking out of ignorance, um, because I was speaking from that blind spot. Uh, that creates a huge disconnect between me and another person or a grouping of people. And I think when we are cultivating our hearts and our minds in this way, uh, that's the last thing we want to do. Um, but we have to come to terms with our ability to do that. We have to actually look deep inside ourselves and see where are we actually causing that kind of harm. And so speech, our practice of speech, is a wonderful place to explore this. Um, disconnect and connection. Uh, we can also take that uh, as an internal practice and start noticing how are we talking internally? You know, um, are we uh, feeding the voices of, of hatred, um, of greed, delusion inside our minds? Not to uh, get caught up in a spiral of uh, judgment, of self-judgment around it. Oh, there, I'm having that that horrible thought again. This is so hateful. Why am I having this? Um, I'm a horrible person and get, go in that spiral. Uh, what's more helpful is to turn towards it and really see it and know it. Ooh, yeah, wow, that's a part of me or that's part of my consciousness in this moment. Um, that's something to pay attention to and start to really see, you know, how are we talking in our mind? Can we bring compassion to it? Can we bring wisdom to to that? Um, can we see uh, certain thoughts as, um, you know, where they're stemming from, like really old ones, how we talk to ourselves if we're being cruel to ourselves, for example, in our mind. Maybe that's a pattern we have and start to understand more and more where is that coming from? You know, it's the voice of my father or it's the, the voice of the fear I had when I was eight or, you know, whatever it might be. And start to um, bring compassion to, to those sides of ourselves. Oh, this needs healing. This needs attention. And um, so that can, that can be part of the, the mindful, um, wise speech practice. So we start with ourselves. 
How do we maybe, how do we talk with ourselves? What are our, our internal um, patterns? We start with the people that are easy, <laughs> the ones that, um, you know, we, we know we really dearly care about, uh, that we um, maybe have good relations with, the ones especially that we can have dialogue around wise speech with. It's really nice to have people in our life that we can have that kind of dialogue, check in about certain things about our speech, um, and have them really understand and be able to to um, talk with us in an honest um, but kind way, a uh, way that we can learn. And then we have our really difficult people, right? So son-in-law, who sounds like a really difficult person, um, not who you start with, <laughs> but you may not have a choice because <laughs> that might just be so in your face. So the begin with is... Um, Start with the anger or the disappointment, starting with the emotional content. Um, really sitting with that part, uh, knowing it, knowing that that's there. Knowing that when you're going to talk to that person or about that person, knowing when that, that anger or fear or disappointment Whatever it is that is underlying it is present and be cautious about what you're going to say. Know that you can't really trust what's going to come out of your mouth. It's important to, to catch that. Just like in our minds, when our minds are in that, those confused states, we can't really trust what's going to come through our mind. So the same with our mouths. When we are really triggered, our control level goes way down. It just does. Um, our composure goes way down. We think, I'm not going to say this about this person to this person. And then we see them and just, <laughs> just flies out of our mouth. You know, I've been there. It's really hard. And so the consciousness, the mindfulness has to come to that process, knowing I can't really trust What's going to come out of my mouth? So you might say to your, if this is your, uh, whoever the son-in-law's partner was, uh, your daughter or son, I, I just can't talk about him right now in a kind way. Like I just, I don't trust that I can, maybe. I might start out that way, but I can, don't trust that I, I can do this wisely. And I'm worried I'm going to say something that will either hurt you, hurt the grandkids, or even hurt myself. And finding some way to communicate that to yourself and also to the other people that you're in dialogue with. Um, and you're probably going to mess up. So just remember that too. That um, it's hard to go for per- perfection here. Um, right out the gate. This takes, this is a place of real practice. This is the edge practice is with our difficult people. And they're our greatest teachers. We can't awaken without them. Uh, they are part of our lives. We can't deny them. And we can't deny what it brings out of us. All of this needs to be looked at and be with. We need to be with all of that. And the denial part or the pushing away, the aversion, 
um, uh, doesn't lead anywhere. That's that's where we want to go. It doesn't lead to healing. Um, so, um, I actually have to stop there. These were fantastic questions. I didn't get to go get to every single one. Um, but we've certainly covered a lot of ground, and I really appreciate um, you helping me <laughs> come up with something to, to share tonight in the Dharma. You're very inspiring. So thank you for that. And uh, we'll, we'll now take a moment to dedicate the merit. And so dedicating the merit is a time for us to... Uh, Recognize the wholesomeness of being together, the wholesomeness of cultivating the practice together. And though we may come here for ourselves, it's a time to acknowledge that the benefits of the practice ripple out um, beyond ourselves, that it affects the people we care about, it affects the people we'll work with, it affects the people we interact with, people in our communities, uh, and beyond these ripple effects go on beyond, um, I think, further than we, we can possibly know. And so in that spirit, we dedicate the merit to all beings everywhere. And we'll take a moment to dedicate um, specifically to the beings who have been on your hearts and minds. It says for my friend Joe, uh, is it Geist? Geist? Uh, whose partner of 45 years... Tom, and I'm sorry, but I can't read the last name. Do you want to say his name? What his Yancey um, died on Monday. Monday, so John, Joe, in our heart. To Andy, uh, suffering from depression and anxiety. For Carol, who's suffering in the same way. Uh, for Chris, who is struggling with substance abuse, for Eden, who is struggling with anxiety and communication, uh, to, for Dilpreet, is that correct? You can correct me if you want to, uh, who's going through a divorce. Uh, pray for her, her strength, peace, and sending her love. We'll keep her in our hearts, too. And so for all beings everywhere. May all beings find happiness and contentment in their lives. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
dot org slash donate.